Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Ashed. My name is Craig. That gentleman over there's nickname tonight is Irritable Bowel, and we are Half Ashed. And this is episode number 40 on November 8th, 2013. How the heck are you, Mr. Irritable? I'm just trying to keep it between the ditches. Every single show, you've got some other hillbilly comment. I love it. It just oozes out of me. You just can't get over the fact that you guys lost the war. you got to hang on to that hillbilliness all as much as you can, don't you? I was I was not a part of that war. <laughs> as old as I am, that was before even my time. <laughs> you weren't alive 152 years ago? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh. Well, I have a feeling this is going to be a rather interesting show tonight with all the uh, recent broadcasts on Cigar Federation with uh, Matt Booth last night on the inaugural uh, Cigar Federation uh, broadcast of Stogie Geeks. We had some unique experiences there, and I have a feeling we're in for a few unique experiences of our own tonight on half Ash. What do you say we get this show on the road? Let's do it. Well, we, uh, as we mentioned, we uh, are embarking on our 40th episode. I can't believe that. 40 is darn near a year. That's awesome. Yeah, just about 12 weeks off of it. And uh, tonight's Cigar of the Week just happens to be a pretty unique cigar from uh, from you, one of your recommendations for us to highlight here. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those cigars, I mean, we kind of throw that term recommendation around pretty loosely, but it's one that's hard to come by that I thought would be fun to smoke on the show. Hello? <laughs> I just, I thought maybe you'd get into your description of the, the cigar. Sorry about that. Oh, man, you're going to make me talk about my own cigar, eh? Uh, I know, how dare I'll, I? Yeah, I'll do it irritability. That blame, I can't talk to all tonight. <laughs> you give me one opportunity, and I blew my opportunity. <laughs> and then you decide to fill the gap with a cough. Yeah, that was. Uh, we're about to restart this show in just a minute. One more again. <laughs> All right. This we is, have yeah. we have Officer Paul in the chat room saying, "Wait, wait, wait a second. I show up at, at 7.34, and the show's been going for four minutes already. What happened? He didn't expect us to be on time. Yet another <laughs> comment about it. Hey, what Paul doesn't you know, know is that we're on our third starting already. Uh, yeah, we are, and we were like hanging out for over 30 minutes before we even got started, so pays to check in early, Paul. Well, yes, mo- really. most weeks it doesn't. <laughs> Just being brutally honest. Uh, that's all right. But back to our cigar at hand, since I'm guessing most folks that are listening are doing so to hear about a cigar. This week we are smoking the Alec Bradley Fine and Rare. I can hold that up so uh, all the video folks can see a very blurry, unfocused image of the van. <laughs> it's, uh, this is the 2012 release. This is not the one that just recently came out uh, and just shipped um, two, three weeks ago, I guess now. Um, this is from last year, and of course rolled the previous year. They're held for about a year, a little more before they're released. Um, and it's Alec Bradley's uh, really highly promoted, highly anticipated, even by folks that don't typically smoke Alec Bradley cigars. This is their big release uh, each year, and I believe this is the third year they, they've 
they've had this blend to come out. And their big talking point on it is that it contains 10 different tobaccos. However, they're not really uh, telling us much about what those tobaccos are, except that the wrapper is Honduran and comes from Trohe, uh, which, as it turns out, I wasn't aware, this is a, a, a growing region on the southern border of Honduras, um, but kind of butts up against Nicaragua in the central part of the country. Um, anyway, you said the, you uh, did a little... Oops, sorry about that. No, go ahead. You, uh, you said you did a, a little geographic study. Uh, you oh, no, checked no, no, out no. the map to see where... I just wanted to see where it was, because I was not familiar with the area at all. Uh, well, okay. I was just... You know, it's like it's like when you write a paragraph and you would need to say the same thing three times over again, so you just use a synonym. Geographic study was you looked at a map. I was just finding a, a, a funny way of saying it. But anyways, when you were looking at that map, did you happen to notice? Don't give me that smirk. I can see that that laugh on your face as you're trying to hold back, making fun of me. Did you uh, happen to know the proximity? Notice the proximity to Jalapa? I did not, but I could probably find that really fast, and I can do that while I'm talking. Once I take the cigar out of my mouth. Um, well, I I don't know. Have you have you ever even heard of what is it? Trojas? Is that what it was? Okay. T-R-O-J-E-S. J-E, okay. I, I don't think I've ever heard of uh, tobacco from that no, region it's before. in El Parejo. Pareso. Hmm. It is right on the border with Nicaragua. Uh, maybe not quite center of the, the lines, the, the border separating the two. Hmm. What's interesting to me, because um, this cigar is, not to steal your fire, but this cigar is rolled at Racis Cubana, mm-hmm. um, as are certainly a number of cigars from Alec Bradley. And um, the unique thing here is you'd think that um, Racis Cubana would would perhaps, um, I, I don't know, um, target this same type of leaf in some of their other products, since they have so many out there. Um, I guess it's not... Uh, necessarily true, but it just seems like something you would have heard previously. Yes. <laughs> I'm just here to screw with you entirely tonight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Irritable bow altogether. It is very near Jalapa, almost directly across the border. There are um, quite anyway. a few similarities. I, I'm, for those of you who... Uh, are still managing to tolerate listening to this. Um, I started this cigar probably almost an hour ago at this point, probably uh, 50, 55 minutes, somewhere in there. Um, so I'm substantially into the, the second, third, or um, at least a lot further than Kip is at this point. Um, and I am absolutely picking up some flavors of Jalapa, which the wrapper is one of ten types of tobacco, supposedly, in this cigar, so I'm surprised by that. I'd guess that there might be some other Jalapa tobacco in it, or this wrapper really is a special, very flavorful leaf. Well, they they have not given any details about any other tobaccos in this cigar. You like that lead? That was that was a cookie right down the center of the plate for you to talk about the that little statistic there. Yep. <laughs> how, how about we break into? Maybe some details we do have about the cigar. It's a good idea. 
like it's a 6x52 torpedo, and um, what I thought was going to be the normal annual production was uh, 1,100 boxes of 10, but in two, uh, in that was the original release. I don't yet know the numbers for this year. I haven't gotten a press any press about that, but the uh, 2012, they increased that to 2,000 boxes of 10. So we're actually 20,000 of these floating around last year, which is considerably more, basically double uh, what what was the original plan. And they, for Alec Bradley cigars, or their normal offerings are very pricey, uh, typically running 14 to 16 bucks. Uh, I think 1650 is the actual MSRP. You can maybe get them a little bit less than that, but the the thing is, they tend to go quite rapidly. Um, and some places still harken back to the 90s with the Opus and that kind of thing. You can buy two of these and no more. You know, other places sell the whole box. The shop we have here in Tampa doesn't mind at all. You can buy whatever you want. Just just take them. As long as you pay for them, they don't care. Um, but they they go very fast. And I was really surprised this year that I saw them on more than one trip into the shop into Tampa Humidor. And in previous years, they've shown up, been put out on the shelf, and basically been gone in, you know, no more than two days. They just disappear. But these were mm-hmm. these were here for quite some time. They're they're gone now, to the best of my knowledge. But but they did hang around for quite some time. Right. This is probably my favorite Alec Bradley cigar, which is saying something but not saying something at the same time. Um, it, it, I can't think of any other Alec Bradley cigars that I like more than what I've had of these, and I had more of the 2011s than the 12s, um, but I don't smoke a lot of Alec Bradley cigars in general, and that's not a knock on them. It's just most of the stuff they make is not, not in my uh, wheelhouse, to quote Dale again. Um, but... Even at the you know the high price tag, I'm willing to to pick up a couple or a few of these every year just to just to try them because I'm a sucker for the limited thing sometimes. Well, I appreciate the fact that you did. I'm uh, I'm digging on this so far. These samples from you, um, I'm having a little bit of burn difficulty. Um, I, I wouldn't say that it's a major issue. It's just I'm not getting consistent, even burning uh, or even combustion around the entire circumference of the cigar, but uh, I'm getting sufficient smoke and sufficient flavor off of that smoke, and it's really not causing, um, it doesn't appear to be a construction flaw, I'll put it that way. Um, I like the stick. I think that it's got some decent flavors. Um, uh, Anybody who's followed me or my reviews knows that I'm not the biggest fan of uh, the kind of predominant flavor that one can get from uh, tobacco grown in the Jalapa region. Of Nicaragua, um, it, there's just tends to be a woodiness that proliferates those blends. I think that this one has that woodiness as um, a supplemental flavor. I don't think it's the main flavor that I'm getting with the cigar that's kind of smacking me in the face. Um, but you know, with ten different tobaccos or different regions represented. Um, that's not entirely surprising that nothing is really overwhelming anything else. Yeah, but, you know, I have to give them kudos for one thing. Uh, uh, well, for more than one thing, but one thing in particular that jumps out at me is if you can 
manage a way to put 10 different tobaccos into a cigar and it's not just the most muddled mess you've ever tried to smoke, I think that's a that's an accomplishment. Well, let me ask you a question. So what was the deal with the Liga Pravada? Was that five filler tobaccos? Mm. It was a several, but I, I don't, I wouldn't swear to it being five. I, I believe Liga was five, and so you've got a binder and a wrapper. So Liga would be at seven different types of tobacco. I know they were able to get the Liga blend down to a 40 ring. They experimented with a 38, and I know that the 38, I shouldn't say I know, I'm almost positive that the 38 in the Liga line lost one of the tobacco types. Um, so when they settled on the 40, I'm presuming that that's still staying consistent with the um, uh, the 5 plus 2. So, you know, this is a 52, what looks to be a typical torpedo Vitola. Um, it does certainly seem to be possible. I, oh, I mean, absolutely. And, and one of the most amazing things I've ever seen, and I've seen it in person, so I believe it. I had a hard time believing it beforehand, was the Opus Lancero has 7. Wow, and and it's a it's a thirty eight best I can remember. And, and that, it has they seven have fillers, filler leaves. Seven well, not tobacco. leaves, but tobaccos. Right, seven pieces of leaf, so to speak, but full length. And that is rolled into bar, and they they literally have one guy that rolls the Opus Lancero, and that's that's his job. That's what he does, and he's really good at it. Hmm. I would imagine. And I could probably dig a picture up of that dude. Well, I'm mm-hmm. I'm enjoying this. I'm not this. going to right now because I tend to get distracted. I'm enjoying this stick because it has some flavors that um, some of, I won't say more aggressive, but some of the more um, noticeable flavors to me off of this tend to... I know this is always sacrilege, but it tends to remind me of some of the flavors you'll get off of a Cuban cigar. Noticeably, or notably, there's a really wonderful nuttiness that I'm getting. And that nuttiness is kind of veiled in a bit of a sweet, spicy, vaguely sweet, spicy flavor. Um, And then in the first third, I, I definitely noted some kind of uh, dried fruits or stewed fruits, not that bright, fresh, ripe, um, you know, fructose sweetness, but definitely something that's been boiled down or, or uh, um, just really kind of condensed and smacks you across the palate. Um, that's transitioned a little, but now it's uh, definitely a little more reminiscent of a uh, of some of the blends that I would expect out of Cuba. Yeah, I think it has maybe a little more of uh, that Nicaraguan kind of, not really nasal napalm, but it, it gives you a good burn on a retro hell. Um, and that, I would get that more early on. And if you look in the notes there, I kind of intermingled it that, um, you know, I'm trying to get back to making the comparison to, I have very little experience with Cuban cigars. Basically, what we've had on the show is it. I. I think it has a little bit more of a punch through the nose than I've had with any of those. But I can see exactly what you're saying. And in the notes that I made off of memory of one other of these I've smoked and the one I had today, actually, that I get that sweetness through the code draw, which I did not get on this example tonight, 
just a really dark sweetness, a really raisinish almost kind of sweetness. And then that tends to fade away for me. And as I go went through the stick today, it got much more nutty and more uh, woodsy uh, in, in flavor. And those tended to dominate, but that sweetness would still kind of peep out every once in a while. And you get just you know just a couple minutes of that uh, to, just to remind you that it's there. Hmm. Well, the cigar's a good accompaniment with um, with rum. Tonight I dug deep into the liquor cabinet and decided to finish off the last half a finger or finger of Ron Zacapa. Uh, well, I guess it's not Ron Zacapa. It's just Zacapa rum. And then uh, I d- did something uh, also sacrilegious. Boy, tonight is turning out to be not the best night for me. Uh <laughs> Uh, sacrilege-wise, I combine it with a half a finger or so of Zaya. So that's creating a little bit of a hotter version of uh, the normal Zaya flavors that I like, that deep caramelly, um, sugary sweetness that you get with a good dark rum. Um, and that sweetness really pairs well with this cigar. Um, I Not that this is a show where we really highlight pairings too often, but... Notably, it's it's an enjoyable combination. I think that they work well together. Hmm. It actually, that that's my imagination and what I'm hearing. That actually sounds like it would work very well together. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I usually accompany the show in my cigars with a little nip of rum or always water. And most of the time, there's a little bit of rum that I have in a separate glass. But tonight, it's it's one of those experiences where the, the rum isn't just an accompaniment or something that I enjoy. It's something that's a, a compliment, definitely. Hmm. <laughs> Very chewy smoke. But what's interesting is that it didn't seem to be so chewy in the, the first third. The second third has kind of brought out a change to the body of the cigar. Yeah, I, I agree. I hmm. dig it. Me too. It's a good cigar so far. And I don't know. I don't know that I would have come up with that just just trying to make some notes on my own. But when you say it, yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with you. The body comment. You mean? How's that? How's it? Yeah. How's it uh, burning for you now? Still giving you troubles? Um, I didn't exactly do the most razor sharp cut line when I uh, decided that I wanted to cut off the little bit of wrapper. It was a little bit of a cut and a little bit of a tear. Um, So you can see there's a little part of the binder that's exposed still on mine, uh, although it's not exactly focusing on it. But um, there's a little part of the binder that's uh, um, still exposed. And so there's some areas where the wrapper leaf has caught up, and it's just kind of giving me the same sort of semi-burn you can note there if you're looking that that's actually, you know, been one of the areas where the wrapper leaf bends away from the binder and filler just slightly. Uh, so it appears to be kind of having that that difficulty igniting that wrapper, but I'm not exactly sure what the reason is. It may be a, you know, if I had to guess, I'd say the binder leaf is a little, I don't want to say under-processed, but it, it could use a little more time to, to break down, um, just 
chemically the chain or biologically the chains may not be the chain molecules may not be broken down enough for complete combustion. Little geeky, but I know that um, the longer tobacco ages, the more complete uh, combustion you can see. Hmm. Well, are we ready to uh, jump into a little bit of news? Yeah, absolutely. I'm always ready. <laughs> That's funny. Well, the first news is is really no longer news, but uh, our buddy Cigar Coop, who's in the chat room tonight, published something, and this has been a week and a half or so ago, and, and um, he had seen on a couple of other uh, shows that Skip Martin had appeared on, uh, on actually on Stogie Geeks, where Coop is now a part of and, and partnered up with, and, and which, by the way, is now on Cigar Federation, uh, streaming there, same as us, same as uh, Cigar Chat. And, uh, and Cigar Chat, which is the other, uh, that is also through Cigar Federation, that Skip Martin had uh, announced or disclosed or talked about a, a new uh, cigar he's got lined up for next year, the Neanderthal. And which, you know, both of us are a really big fan of his cigars. That kind of goes without saying as much as we've talked about them in past weeks. But the thing that caught my eye is Skip said it will feature some Corojo tobacco from the Aganorsa Farms. Mm. And I am a humongous fan of Costa Fernandez and Aganorsa. And I love their tobacco. I love their cigars. And I'm definitely anxiously awaiting that one. Hmm. I know the the Aganorsa uh, Vegas have always been. I, I I don't I won't say um, intriguing. That's probably not the right term. But they've always been kind of I don't know held on a higher plane. Um, I hear that a cigar's got Aganorsa leaf in it, and automatically I kind of have this oh this peaked interest. Let's say you know I just I think there's a a respect there, and I don't understand exactly why. Um, I know I really tend to enjoy their stuff, but I don't know why um, <laughs> that farm uh, all, or farms all of a sudden kind of uh, entice or incite that in me. It's interesting that I've just picked that out, even though it's one of the places where I haven't been, um, even though I have been to, to many others. It's kind of interesting. I haven't been there either. In fact, I haven't even been to Nicaragua yet. Um, really? I thought you had. I can... No, no, not Nicaragua. Oh, okay. uh, but I can tell you exactly why they draw the respect from me, and that's from any number of their offerings, but one in particular. They, uh, they do a cigar called the Arsenio, which is named after their master blender, and they offer that in a Corojo or a Maduro wrapper, and... I truly think that is the best $5 cigar on the market. I, I just I love the cigar, and I can't even fathom how they put it out there at 5 bucks or so a piece. Uh, it's, I think it's, either wrapper is an amazing cigar, and you won't find a better value. That's <clears throat> a good um, – that's a good logical, objective reason that um, – well, I guess it's subjective, the fact that you enjoy that cigar. But the objectivity of it is that it's such a, uh, a respectful thing, the fact that they're able to come to market with a cigar that's deemed to be so enjoyable for a price that so many other people 
can't be competitive at, really. Yeah, and most of their cigars are uh, priced well within that sweet spot. They do even some more inexpensive lines, but um, I have not tried that 35th anniversary that they have lined up, and it, it may or may not even be out. It was you know, announced beforehand, but they had it on display at IPCPR, and Coop may have smoked it. I'm not sure. But, you know, when they put out a cigar that is limited, that they really took their time and, and effort and poured their love into a cigar that is an anniversary cigar, and it is much higher, uh, at a much higher cost than everything else just about that they're offering, i got to think it has to be a special cigar. And I, I can't wait to get my hands on them. Knowing that the other cigar they... Um, released at the show this year that uh, Maduro Reserva was spectacular and I I have no vested interest with this company but that I picked that cigar as my very favorite thing I smoked at IPCPR for the entire show I, I just fell deeply in love with it mm. <clears throat> nothing wrong with that man I love when you get one of those sticks that just knocks your socks off and you just can't wait for it to show up at a local retailer or to be able to find it online somewhere, whatever it is. And, and I love that cigar so much that I called up uh, Max, Max Fernandez Pujol, who works for Casa Fernandez, and I met him at the show and exchanged some information and I called him up and asked him to come on the show, and he's going to be on here next week. Just as a side note for everybody, he'll be here. No, I'm sorry, in two weeks, on the 22nd, he's going to he's going to be on the show with us, and we will be smoking that Reserva Maduro. And I hope they are as good as what I had at the show. I got a lot of a lot of hope <laughs> poured into this cigar. Well, speaking of uh, of Max, our Next uh, <clears throat> a little news item here is from relating to Casa Fernandez. Um, they've announced a couple new cigars. The 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 they first have. of which is very intriguing to me because I've always tended to be a fan of the JFR line. Yeah, and for everybody who doesn't know that JFR stands for just for retailers. Uh, it shouldn't. It's not supposed to be available anywhere online. Uh, there may be a couple places that have an actual storefront who do sell it online, but uh, this was developed for brick-and-mortar stores, and uh, this line extension to that is called the Junior, and it's, it's going to be 4 by 46 and uh, still affordably priced. It's going to be offered in two wrappers, you know, Maduro, Natural, and they may call it a Corojo. I don't recall from the, the, the stuff I got from Max. But uh, the MSRP on them is 420 and 430, so we're not talking an expensive cigar. Um, and of course, the JFR line is not an expensive line to begin with. No. And, um, but the other one, and going back to the JFR, before I, you know, as much as I bad talk the big rings, I think Casa Fernandez was very early, and if not the first company to actually put out a 7 by 70 and it was in the JFR line. And if it wasn't, if they weren't the first, they were the first I saw, for definitely. Um, but the uh, JFR line, for folks that haven't had it, is uh, a Nicaraguan Puro, with the exception of the Maduro version, which has a Mexican San Andres wrapper and features that lovely, delicious Aganorsa leaf we've been talking about. 
Um, what's the other one we got? The the Illustra as the uh, third edition to the Agonorsa Leaf line, and this is another small ring cigar, which is it's kind of weird. I'm calling a 48 ring a small ring cigar in today's market. That's kind of where it lies, you know. When I first started smoking cigars, 48 or 50 was pretty much the upper end of, of ring gauges, and now I'm calling it a small ring cigar. That's a, it just struck me as funny. Uh, it's going to come in boxes of 15, MSRP of $8.90, uh, Nicaraguan internals and Mexican wrapper, and um, I'm just completely in love and excited that they're doing what I'm now calling small ring cigars, these 46 and 48 ring cigars. Well, but in your defense, it's smaller for them. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, it's smaller for them and the industry as a whole, I guess. But I mean, they've been, as you mentioned, I mean, they were some of the first to really embrace that large ring gauge. And jeez, ah, five years ago, six years ago, I can remember sitting in B and M's and uh, going to the JFR boxes and thinking that those cigars were just gargantuan. I mean, just gargantuan, some of them. So a 48 and a 46, uh, definitely bringing that, uh, bringing down the curve a little bit. Yeah, and, and Cigar Coop just said in the chat room that nobody works better with San Andreas than Casa Fernandez, and I agree. I, I think that you know, the, anything they put out with that wrapper, any, most of their Maduros, you just can't go wrong. I, I, I have not had a bad one. I, I've had some... That have whipped me entirely, just put me on my knees. They're so strong, but flavorful <laughs> at the same time. I just keep coming back for more because they they do not put out many mild cigars. I can't think of a single one off the top of my head. They typically lean toward more uh, cigars that would definitely fall in the full strength range. Well, my second cigar of the evening tonight is not a. Uh, a, a cigar from that manufacturer, but it just happens to be a San Andreas wrapper as well. So I'll uh, I'll be playing with that San Andreas in probably about half an hour or so. Cool. Ooh. <laughs> I got one cool in for the night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the uh, um. Another thing that I wanted to just ask you about here, related to that San Andreas wrapper, uh, um, although this is a San Andreas Maduro, but it is still a San Andreas Mexican. Um, do you? I guess you know we've all, or we've both been around the industry long enough to remember when Mexican tobacco was a dirty word. Yes, um, it was. <laughs> um, do you? Can you think of uh, the cigar specifically that you think? helped to turn that around? Uh, I don't know. I know what it was for me, and it was not a very long time ago. I, I was not really into Mexican tobacco, uh, but it, for me, it was that Tatuaje Mexican experiment just a year and a half or so ago. That was what really, I smoked that and, and loved it, absolutely loved it, and went on a massive manhunt and turned up a few more here and there. Hmm. Because it was a pretty small production, but after that, I've made it a point to try everything I could uh, that I find that wrapper on. The first cigar that I know of that that really kind of changed my mind was the um, uh, the Murcielago. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, um, boy, I think it was the Murcielago. I don't think it was the Cubao. The Cubao, I think, just had the Maduro and then the the Abano. 
I think the Murcielago had the uh, that Mexican Maduro on there. Um, that was the one that I really smoked that I was, uh, I, I should say, uh, stopped in my tracks probably. Did a double take. And then probably the first Mexican uh, wrapped cigar that I had when I said, Holy cow! This is this is gonna change the industry. Was um, a unique cigar. Uh, it's actually a Bulgarian regional cigar, a cigar that was made specifically for a Bulgarian distributor, um, and the cigar was called the KK Krasi Kortev, was what it stood for, and it was the name of the Bulgarian distributor, um, and that was just about the best Maduro I've ever had in my life. And it was a, it was a San Andreas Maduro um, that was fan-flippantastic, unbelievably good. And uh, so I'd say after those two cigars, it really just became a, a, a stand, not a standard offering, but, I mean, a standard um, uh, thing that I was willing to accept is just, okay, we've got, we've got Corojo, Abano, Ecuadorian... Uh, Cameroon, Sumatran, Mexican. I mean, that's what it was going to be. It was just in as one of those wrappers that you'd expect to see on a cigar offering. Yeah. And, you know, after I'm thinking, Eddie Ortega's Serie D uh, Maduro that he put out a little before, a few months before that uh, Mexican experiment I was just talking about, kind of did the same thing. I, I really, really like that cigar. Although it was sometimes hit me a little sideways with the strength. I don't think they're overly potent, but for whatever reason, on occasion they'll hit me a, a little harder than most people, I guess. Uh, so, But if I stick with that little number seven, I think that's a great smoke. I didn't, I didn't love those. I remember. Um, I didn't mind them, but I, I really... Um, I was a little bit late to the party on that one. I was not... Um, as I am with most things, I was not in line at the B and M while they were being unpackaged. Um, Slacker. <laughs> I enjoyed them, but I really kind of thought they were one note. I probably had half a dozen samples in two or three different sizes, um, and I just never really saw the fact that people thought it was, you know, um, that it expanded. Um, the cigar industry from where it had already been. I just kind of thought it was not overly complex um, and almost like I had been there before. Hmm. But I, I don't know. Those... Maybe I should revisit if they're worthwhile. It just doesn't strike me as being such. Yeah, and we talk. I'm sitting here with all kinds of rogue synapses firing. How we've talked before about uh, the. Uh, incestuous nature of the cigar industry and the, the Mercy Lago you're just talking about was an EO brand cigar with Eddie Ortega and Eric yep. Espinosa and my father I don't recall if they made the Mercy Lago they do make the Serie D Maduro my father also had a very close relationship before troubles arose with Costa Fernandez it it it, it really I was just thinking it really is <laughs> incestuous, not to make you throw up again. <laughs> well, the throw up was Te Amo. Not, oh. not, uh, not the incestuous comment. Although that's not exactly something that I need to surround myself with either. <laughs> <laughs> so, firing into our next story to talk about a little bit. And I uh, 
snagged this from Ernesto Padilla's Instagram feed. And the first portion of, of what he wrote with this was not what intrigued me. It's it's just the end of this. But I'm going to read the entire thing because it's kind of neat. But yeah, yeah. He's testing a, a sample rolled by Cuban Master Roller here in Miami with fillers grown by our Cuban friend Arsenio and Jacinto or Jacinto of Agonorsa Tobacco Growers in Nicaragua and finished with a Cuban seed Habano wrapper expertly grown by Cuban Oliva Tobacco Family. That is one heck of a run-on sentence. Cuban, 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 yeah. Cuban. But we I don't think, like Cubans. I think, yeah, I think he's kind of making a point here. Uh, I wish there was a button on Instagram that you could share the flavors of this cigar with our followers. No, I can't mail you one right now, but since I'm always getting requests to sample our prototype blends, here's the cool part, or the intriguing part anyway. I'm working on something soon where we'll have a select club for you guys to try these samples as we develop them and get your feedback. Like this photo and let me know your thoughts. Thanks again for your continued interest and support. See, so, I thought it was funny that you, that this piqued your interest or that you liked it. So maybe maybe explain a little bit your thoughts behind this and then I'll jump in and tear you apart. Have fun. Well, that depends on what you think my th- thoughts about this are. Well, that's true. That's true. I might support you, although I doubt um, it. Well, I don't know that I have a pro or con stance on this. I oh, like the idea sake, of Dale. more. Hey, hey, bugger off. <laughs> <laughs> I just really offended all the UK listeners. <laughs> it, it, I think, if nothing else, it's a neat phenomena to watch as more and more companies seem to be creating some kind of little, you know, elite, not, not elite, some kind of club or group or something where they're getting uh, actual feedback from, hopefully, the people that buy their cigars. I think maybe there's a danger that every Joe on the block is going to join up in this club just to, you know, get some earlier inexpensive cigars. You know, yeah, hopefully he ends up rolling 15,000 prototypes. Exactly, and you know that that doesn't really seem like a uh, maybe it's a good marketing thing or a good way to sell some cigars, but doesn't seem very helpful in developing a blend. But it, it's it's just something I'm watching. You know, we had Alec Bradley doing this, uh, the Saints and Sinners with Tatuaje, which as we discussed last week is something entirely different, but it still follows with the club theme. You know, I, I, um, I know that there's been a lot of people in the past who have weighed in on, uh, or I should say, had the consumers weigh in on what eventually became uh, a production cigar. I mean, the first that I was around was the Punch, what was for a long time called the Punch Champion. Um, I can remember in maybe '99 or 2000. Um, uh, you could buy punch figurados, probably a five-inch figurado, four and a half-inch figurado, kind of like a work of art, if I remember the Vitola correctly. Um, you know, you could buy a number one or a number two, um, and then you could cast your vote for whichever was your favorite blend, and then the winner of that, after all the votes had been tabulated, became what uh, I believe is still available as the Punch Champion. Um, you know, that's kind of my first experience with this sort of a thing. You know, get in on the uh, 
the prototypes uh, um, phase of this and really weigh in on what we're going to end up doing. Um, I've been involved in this sort of a thing on a number of different levels as well. Uh, also, most recently has been with Drew Estate when kind of uh, tinkering, as I mentioned earlier, tinkering with the Liga Pravada blend to try to narrow that down to um, as close to a Lancero as possible. Um, but then on a little bit more of a micro level, I've seen this sort of a thing um, most often, and what I think is really the best uh, um, iteration of it at the B&M level, when a brick and mortar is trying to solidify what they want their house blend cigar to be, they take in the the opinions of those people who are in their house, <laughs> for lack of a better uh, like way the, of putting it. The Cuenca 5. The Cuenca 5 is an, another example of that, exactly. So, I don't have an issue with, or I don't, you know, call shenanigans on the fact that Padilla is um, doing this, because I, I, I've mentioned before that uh, Ernesto Padilla, I've got some experience with Ernesto Padilla way back when I was on the Cigar Aficionado board in 2002, um, I think it was 2002, uh, Ernesto was sending out samples of his then hybrid, the uh, Padilla hybrid cigars, for people to kind of weigh in on what, what those cigars were and if they were going to be... Um, make a splash on the market. So I know that Ernesto's been doing this for some time. I just think that this spin on um, a select club, that sort of mentality is, you know, uh, two weeks ago or last week we talked about it with the monkey butt club from Alec Bradley or whatever <laughs> the heck that thing's called. Um, you know, and I just thought that it seemed a little silly, and then now it just seems like yet another guy's coming out with it. Why, you know, while they're at it, why don't they put fire-cured tobacco in the one that they have these select club people do? Because it just seems like that was all the rage, and then now this club is all the rage. And I don't know. I just I like original ideas. Um, so much of the industry, as we've said, is incestuous. Just come up with your own damn thoughts. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I agree with everything you just said. So you're you're not really tearing me apart. I'm kind of right there with you. I think it can be handled well, and it can be mishandled terribly. And, and you know, there have been other companies that have said we're going to have events, and you test these three cigars, and whatever the biggest tabulation of votes are at the end of it is what we're going to go with. And that was a complete ruse. Um, but I, I guess it can work. We'll see. Uh, I, I like to see it personally. I think it's fun to watch either way, whether it works or crashes and burns. It's, it's entertaining. <laughs> well, I I uh, I doubt that it's going to crash and burn. I mean, everybody likes being a part of something, but um, I don't know. It just I guess it can't hurt. I just like to see it help. Does that make sense? You know, I mean, I'd like to see it be progressive. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's all right. Hey, speaking of punches, I was thinking what I got. You know how easily distracted I am in my old age. I was thinking oh, yeah. back. I I can only think of three punch cigars that I really enjoyed, and the champion you just mentioned was one that I I, I liked you know years ago. And um, second of the three is the punch 
Grand Cru Number no. Two Maduro, which was like a pyramid uh, cigar. And I don't recall the last time I've seen those on the shelf. I know they're still made, but none of my locals ever have them around. And the third is not a good cigar at all, but I would still smoke them today if I I, I, I would not hesitate just because of the uh, the in my mind back in the early days of my cigar smoking. I would stop at a cigar shop if I was going fishing or something and grab these little um, tubos they had. Oh, I can't remember. Was it the Coronation? They had one called the Coronation. I believe they do. Punch Coronation. And this is, you know, this is nearly 20 years ago, so they're like two dollars. I, I grab a couple of those, go fish, and I, man, I'm just eating them up, just loving those cigars. And I know that. <laughs> I would not have the same opinion today, but I would still smoke them just just for the sentimental value. My, uh, I can remember the first, um, I think the first serious real cigars that I had um, were Upmans, um, non-Cuban Upmans, and I'm pretty darn sure that uh, that would be something that would strike a chord for me that. You know, if I was ever sitting around in my my old man's garage, if I'm out in Colorado or something, uh, and we had some uh, little tubo upmans, Corona's major, I think I would definitely love lighting one of those up. You know, I can remember when I was helping my dad clean the garage. I'm 17 years old or something like that, and he's smoking one of those upmans, and he hands me one. It was just one of the the first real cigars that I had. I'll probably, you know, always have that soft spot for that reason. Yeah, my little dude's gonna. And miss I out did on just that. check. Go ahead. The uh, what? Because you don't have a garage, or because you won't give him a cigar? No, because I already have him a humidor started with a good selection of good cigars. <laughs> Smart man. Um, I did check and uh, punch. It is the punch coronations. You're correct. Cool. It's been a long time, but you know. It, it, <laughs> During the boom in the 90s, when so many bad cigars were selling for high prices, you got to imagine what it was in a $2 cigar. <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, most certainly. <sighs> that might be why you don't smoke them anymore. Possibly. Well, Good. and uh, before we go too much further, we should probably let you have your moment in, uh, moment in the spotlight here about news item number four. <laughs> Well, what do you mean, moment in the spotlight? Just look. <laughs> I made some speculation, which I hedged with, hey, just one man's opinion, make it yours, and then I was ridiculed for being too wishy-washy. But you going to tell this? You no, no, it appears that you uh, that you were too wishy-washy. You should have just gone with your gut. Yeah, Jose Blanco has put up more pictures this week of himself standing, looking over some boxes, and from all appearances and his own declaration, he's got something in the works that should be coming out next year, uh, which still I think is really cool. I, I, I like his style. I just like Jose. Um, I can't think of a cigar of his that I you know that I know is has got his fingerprints all over it that I absolutely dig and that I would say, oh, man, you know, he's he just has got a blending style that's right up my alley. But um, at the same time, I uh, 
uh, I just like him as a dude, and I totally respect his tobacco knowledge. I've sat in rooms with him and just, you know, <clears throat> listened to him hold court and been blown away. Blown away. Should I say yep? <laughs> Jeez. Ay, ay, ay. Hey, you know, I, I said before the show started that today, on the first one of these I smoked, I pulled off something I had never, ever in my life been able to do, and that was get off the band from a fine and rare without any damage. And now on this one tonight, I can say and show you what normally happens <laughs> when I try to take this freaking band off. <laughs> Paper Uh-oh. band falling apart. I can only imagine what that uh, debacle looks like. No, I'm holding it up right here. Check that out. Oh, I was just going to go grab mine. There, There's mine, too. Yeah. They use uh, like it's an... It's un- the same thing. It's a really cool band. It has you know company official signatures. I, I can't even read them from here. It's too dim. Um, but they use an, like an unwaxed paper that really badly sticks to itself. So don't have any hopes of saving too many of those. Yeah, I uh, um, I, I really like. I, I can't say I like the band. I like the information that's on the band. Gives you yeah. the roll date, the release date, who the people were that were rolling the fine and rares, who the supervisor was, who the the quality control people were, uh, where it was rolled, the name of the cigar, the quantity produced per week. Um, the quantity of boxes that were released, the year uh, production that this was released from, and then what looks to be the Alec Bradley coat of arms, which is suspiciously like the House of Windsor coat of arms. Um, the royal pretty monkey. Cool. The royal monkey, that's right. Uh, a pretty cool band, and uh, it kind of looks like an old school stamp almost. Yeah, it looks like something Indiana Jones would smoke. That is a great analogy. Uh, I like that. Well, pretty good. I uh, I like that band. I wish that they could have gotten all that information on something that uh, maybe would have been oriented left to right so it wouldn't take up two-thirds of the damn cigar. But uh, either way, it's kind of a neat little thing. <laughs> well, what uh, do we got here? I'm going to skip that other one. We got I'm some... Not- uh, Want to look at that a little more before we bring that into the show? No problem. We uh, we got some cigars we smoked this week. We do. You had a bit of an off week, and I had some extra time, so I uh, I wrote up as close to a real review as I've ever done uh, for Half Ash before, and then you I got, noticed uh, that a few. You want to get going, or you want me to uh, bust this one out? Go ahead. I'll let you take the first one. No problemo. I um, <clears throat> I had a different cigar this week for me. Something I've had in the past, um, uh, Marca at least, but um, I don't believe I've smoked this exact cigar before. Um, and uh, a little bit of a special cigar for me. It's a 2009 La Riqueza number no. four, uh, the cabinet version. The number four is the Robusto, um, or what is deemed the Robusto. The actual Vitola is a Hermos. Hermoso number four, I believe, five by forty-eight. It was a gift from a friend of mine named Matt Warris. Uh, back in 2010, I, I had gone on a uh, 
cigar tourism trip to Nicaragua, and Matt was on it, and we exchanged some cigars, and this was one of the ones that was his favorite that he uh, that he was kind enough to share with me. I um, uh, I thought it was a little appropriate to share as we're coming to the end of our first year of Half Ashed, and therefore coming to an end uh, in the next couple months of the. Uh, cigars, our favorite cigars that both Kip and I have uh, um, set to flame for the sake of the show, I thought, you know, highlighting one of Matt's favorite cigars would be kind of a fun thing to do. So, I enjoy many of the Tat cigars, the Tatuaje cigars that are on the market today, but would certainly not consider myself to be a fanboy like a lot of the other people that are out there. Um, if I understand correctly, this uh, La Ricky is is a bit of a favorite amongst those fan- fanatics. Um, La Ricky is a line which, to me, is slightly shunned, um, and, and I don't quite get why. I think that it's a really quality line, um, and it has more worthy contenders, really, um, than this number four. The Lonsdale and the Bellicoso both seem to have a little bit more of that characteristic toastiness um, and accompanying sweetness that that this blend really brings and that I really find enjoyable. Uh, this sample, though, despite being from the cabinet, um, which apparently is another fanboy obsession, that the cabinet cigars are better than the uh, dress box cigars of this line. Sorry, I'm going to take another puff of the fine and rare. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, despite being four years old, it the cigar actually lacked the complexity I was hoping for. Um, I don't quite think that it was over the hill biologically, but I think the roughness of the youth um, that this cigar can have um, really does well to display the contrasting flavors that the blend uh, contains. The sample that I had was enjoyable, but it it just lacked something, Um, and it is actually a little difficult to review. It was a little difficult to review. Um, I'm having, or I had had troubles picking out the complexities and really was only left with a positive impression. I really didn't, I don't know, I didn't find myself saying this is a notable flavor or this is something that, you know, is coming in and out or, I don't know. Um, it's certainly not bad, but yet it's, you know, I really kind of took this as another reason not to subscribe to the thought that age is always better. Um, in terms of the La Riqueza, this cigar with uh, a decent bit of age on it for a non-Cuban um, really didn't subscribe to that thought. So um, the La Riqueza might just be an abstract. I, I, I've written <laughs> uh, I've written something here that I'm at this point I'm a bit embarrassed of, but it's uh, it sounded good last night when I wrote it. <laughs> um, How interrupt you have last night? <laughs> <laughs> not that much actually. Um, the La Riqueza might just be the abstract art of the cigar world. Um, in other words, a bunch of random thoughts creating a sum-of-the-parts type of beauty. Um, I, I, I tend to believe that. I, I don't really think that um, this cigar needs to marry. I think this cigar kind of needs to be a little bit aggressive and just kind of bombard your palate with everything that it contains. Um, it's a good cigar. I, I I enjoyed it, but I don't think it was at its best. 
Yeah, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times what you just described is exactly my favorite thing about some cigars is I I don't want to sit and review them. I just want to sit there, smoke the cigar, and enjoy the cigar. I kind of like it when it happens myself. Mm. Interesting. And I, uh, oh, good grief. I can't even remember now. It, it is a cigar I have reviewed before, but it took me six or eight different attempts at sitting down to write a review because I just didn't feel like writing. I just wanted to enjoy the cigar. and huh. so It was just fun to do for me. And I think that says a lot about the cigar. And, you know, the La Roqueza, I think, is a fantastic smoke that nobody talks about. It's just kind of there and maybe sells enough to keep the line alive and Pete puts out enough to keep the trademark alive. And it just goes like that until the day comes where maybe he wants to make it more. I, I don't know. I don't know why it's not as popular as some of his other sticks, to be honest. You know, I'd, I'd be really interested to know sales figures on that. I, I You know, is not as popular for Pete. Does that still mean, a, you know, a respectable sales number? I mean, is he moving... Uh, I don't know, 250,000 La Riqueza sticks a year? I, I wonder. I, I don't know. I do know a couple of things, and one is, uh, you know, uh, I'm in a great number of cigar shops around the state of Florida, but it's, n- it's not completely unheard of, but it's not common, and I even come across them on the store shelves. And I know a, a good number of Tatuaje fanatics that e- even being – you know, fanboys as you called them, but they, I've never heard one say, you know, I just can't wait to go get my hands on some more La Riquezas. They're not massively sought after anyway. And I, think, I, I don't know why. I think they're very good cigars. You know, I actually think that, geez, it's probably been three years now, two years now, um, since the, the Avion and the La Casita Criollo um, came out. I think that those two lines are kind of falling in the same vein. I don't hear chatter about those. Um, specifically, the La Casita Criollo, I, I don't see it on a lot of shelves. I've got a shop by me that probably has 20 tat facings, and I don't think a single one of them is a Casita I, I still see them around these parts a uh, good bit of the time. And the funny thing is when I talk to shop owners and guys that I would say are really hardcore smokers and big fans of Tatuaje, the overwhelming majority of them really like La Vion. They, they love that cigar, but it's not broadcast throughout social media. It's not talked about here. It's not constantly streamed through Instagram feeds. It, it's just one of those cigars that's out there. Hmm. I uh, I have a number of the Avions. Um, ah, gosh, it it may have been 2010. It may have been three years ago that that came out. I was um, <clears throat> I really was heavily into the TV show uh, um, Entourage at that point, and um, figures. It <laughs> was a great <laughs> show. All right. Um, and I had uh, spent some time in Nicaragua with Pete um, 
that January of that year. And so, you know, he had come around to the Chicago area and I had met up with him a couple times and had asked him, um, I, I think I had heard that he had bought the trademark for Avion. Um, and, uh, so I just asked him, you know, Hey, what's going on with that? And it turns out that, um, a buddy of his, or he knew the guy who, um, had the trademark, for the tequila, who actually had the trademark for the tequila, not just the fact that um, the Avion tequila was the fake brand that was named for Entourage or made for Entourage. Um, so his friend um, was involved in the creation and distribution of the tequila, and so Pete just bought it, and he also liked Entourage, so he's like, what the hell, let's do something with it. And uh, so he, he made something with it, and so he was kind of excited about it. I know that it was a cigar that he had some passion for. Um, so it's interesting to me to hear your perspective that shop owners and some hardcore guys really dug it, um, but it's not really talked about. I almost feel like that might be Pete's personal opinion, that it's not something that he really needs to to, to rep. You know, I know the, um, uh, what is it, the, the JV-13, the this year's Halloween release is a variation of the Avion blend, but... Um, I really can't think of too terribly many other big Avion um, specials that he's come out with. I think that it is kind of a, you know, <laughs> almost like uh, you <clears throat> you uh, earn your stripes, you'll eventually realize that Avion is one of those great cigars that's um, under the Tatuaje uh, uh, lineage. <clears throat> mm-hmm. A lot of speculation there, but you connect the dots, it makes some sense. Yeah, I agree. So is that, I, I realize you made quite a bit of notes on that one. You got any others that really struck a chord with you this week? No, I um, I smoked that Avion, and then I just had some, you know, some filler stuff when I was out on a job site trying to stay warm and didn't really pay much attention, just wanted a little bit of an accompaniment, so... Um, that was my only real review. I also had another Nika Rustica, Nika Rustica, um, this week, but, uh, it was more of just, a a cigar to have. Yeah. Well, I, like you alluded to earlier, I had kind of an off week, uh, just kind of feeling kind of off and not, not real. And it's, I can't even hardly form these words with my mouth. I just wasn't really into too many cigars this week. And of the uh, seven or eight that I did light, I only finished three because uh, I just I would light a cigar and suddenly just feel like I don't smoke on a cigar. And golly, that sounds so foreign for me to say that, but that was been the case. But I did have a couple I wanted to mention, and these uh, happened to both be uh, House of Emilio cigars, actually, and they're, they're both very good. And the first one I had on here was I had the chance to go down to a, a shop in Tampa because I knew Fred Rui was coming over for an event. Uh, that's uh, Nomad Cigars. And so I went down there and I bought a few of his cigars while I was there and, and he gave me a couple of uh, the new S307. Uh, that's his new uh, Nicaraguan blend. Uh, it's, I think it's his first full production blend. He had one other Nicaraguan cigar that uh, was a limited run, but this one... Is coming out of A.J. Fernandez's uh, place. And so I sat there and talked to Fred, just chatted, and 
it was actually kind of cool because we didn't really chat much about cigars. It was just kind of hanging out in the cigar shop and, and talking, which was thoroughly enjoyable, I have to say. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I smoked one while I was there and thought it was a very good cigar and actually not a typical first offering. This is kind of jumping you know, midstream into the Nicaraguan cigar world because his early cigars were Dominican. And um, I think he he actually had a big hand in the development of the blend. He didn't just simply call up AJ and say, hey, come up with something for me. Uh, we did talk a little bit about that, and, and he's actually headed back down there in the next few weeks, and he's going to be there for a couple of months uh, working on something for next year. Um, but the S307 has an Ecuadoran Sumatran wrapper, which I will take to be Sumatran seed grown in Ecuador, um, an Ecuador Habano binder, and all Nicaraguan filler. And it it, it was um, very A.J. Fernandez-esque, and it had those really nice toasty flavors that, that maybe was just slightly drying on the palate and, you know, leaned a little woodsy at times for me. Overall, I thought it was an, another really good uh, offering for a Nomad in their stable. And uh, the other one was the original, well, I can't say original, it wasn't his test blends, the original ready-for-prime-time release of the uh, Guayacan, uh, that torpedo he put out. And I think we've talked before, Noel Roja, who is the Guayacan owner, just kind of popped up on everybody's radar at last year's um, Chattanooga Tweetup. Completely new on the scene and you know, didn't know many people in the industry or anything. He just kind of popped up and was making cigars. And he came to the tweet up and he had four different cigars and uh, four different Vitolas, each one a different blend. And he was just going through the process. And this, this kind of ties in with our customer feedback we were talking about earlier. He was giving those out to people and saying, hey, give, give me some feedback here. <coughs> And what he was doing was gathering information on those four blends, and he ended up with the one he got the most and most positive feedback from. He took that blend and made that into all the Vitolas and put the other three kind of on the back burner. Maybe they'll be used in the future. I don't know. And that became the the Torpedo. And I, I think for somebody that has, is as new into the industry or into the marketplace as Noel is another one of those people that I think is well beyond his, at least his experience that I know of. Maybe he was born in a tobacco field. I don't know. But he's making (laughs) some great cigars. And I still have not yet smoked the Maduro he gave me at the show. I've got to get on that, actually. Um, But this, this, uh, the one I, the Torpedo had this week, uh, like I said, it's one of his original releases, the Ecuador Habano wrapper. He has Aganorsa leaf again with the Casa Fernandez folks uh, as the the Aganorsa Corojo binder Nicaraguan filler blend. Um, and I found these to be on the very light end of full in, in terms of nicotine strength to maybe the heavy end of medium. They weren't. Uh, they're not going to kill anybody with their strength, but but you'll definitely know you got a cigar in your mouth. Um, just. Uh, this cigar has kind of fallen into a very specific niche for me, 
and, and you know, I don't know that there's too many times I thought, you know, I, I just got to have a glycon right now. But if I go to the humidor and don't have anything in mind, I just want a good cigar. I can hang out and enjoy. This kind of fits that bill just, just about any time. There's no time is a bad time for a glycon. I'll make a little marketing campaign for him there. Um, <laughs> I continue to be impressed by cigars. I just can't believe that somebody that none of us had heard of a year and a half ago is suddenly out there making such good cigars. Hmm. It's, um, you know, there's a starting and an end to everything. So it's it's kind of funny, as you say, but, I mean, heck, if you think about it, there was a time when there weren't Fuentes in the cigar industry. Yeah, 102 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, well, you never know. It, it supports my point still. <laughs> well, as Bob mentioned, with the number of fires they've had, they're, they're actually the first fire um, uh, put them out of the ownership business. Arturo, when he lost everything in that first fire, and this is one of those things that kind of reveals character in a person. And rather than just simply throwing up his hands and screwing his uh, creditors, he went to work rolling cigars for somebody else and made back the money to pay his creditors and made back enough to start another factory. And so it's kind of a cool story if you ever have the chance to read that. I think there's something that, that sounds familiar, and I haven't really read much historically about Fuente, but... I read um, the um, biography on, what is it, Julius Caesar Newman? Mm-hmm. I think it is the biography on him, and for some reason I think that there may have been something about that story in there. Hmm. I, don't, I don't know where else I would have picked it up otherwise. I don't know. I mean, the, the two didn't know each other until very late, the, <laughs> and they had not definitely not partnered the companies. They might have known of each other. Arturo died in 73, and the uh, partnership didn't really get going with the two companies until the mid to late 80s. Wow. Arturo died that long ago, really, 40 years. <laughs> he died the day I was born. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, that's a story in and of itself. Don't tell uh, Carlito that, otherwise I, you might be adopted. <laughs> I Actually, I told Carlos Sr., at oh, the first on the CFC because I had just learned that just days before I went on that trip, the first one, and we were talking, and they said something about when uh, Carlito's kid's great-grandfather had died, and I said, yeah, it was, that was the day I was born, and it really, for a few minutes, really creeped out Carlos Sr. I <laughs> told was, you. Then he was okay. With, uh, with Carlito and his uh, numerology fascination, I just... I, I could have seen that as being something that would uh, have a rather robust impact. It's <laughs> uh, kind of funny. Well, it looks like you have a couple of things here. Um, what you've been enjoying with cigars. I don't have a thing in there, but I'm glad you have too. I don't have the slightest idea what the first one was. I thought it was you. <laughs> no, I bet that must have been Bob or Dale last week stuck that in there maybe. Uh, well... We could just make something up for that first one. It sounds like it'd be a good one. I don't know. I was uh, saying, it, it says DR. 
dash solitude with an exclamation point. And I was kind of excited about that. I'm about to go back down there. I was like, this, this will really get me amped up for this trip. And now I'm kind of deflated. It, it doesn't seem like Bob to ever use an exclamation point, period, let alone on something that isn't a sentence, just a, a, a basic statement. So I'm going to guess that that was something with Dale and that, uh, that he enjoyed some sort of Dominican uh, uh, escape. But good for you, Dale. Why don't you send us a letter or uh, uh, give one of us a call and tell us so we can share you know it with what? the audience. That that may not be a Dominican thing. That may just be his initials because he put it on there. Oh, Roush. there you go. Yeah. Now, this is great radio talking about our screw-ups in the notes, but hey. <laughs> well, I can, uh, I can certainly carry the torch a bit about... Uh, one of the other items that we've got in here, I had a little bit of a run-in this week with um, coffee, actually. Um, we've talked in the past about how I, I tend to enjoy uh, Black Dog Coffee. Um, I, I knew Brian Bircher, the owner of Black Dog, from cigar internet boards over the years. And, um, you know, when he started roasting kind of... Um, on the side for friends, I took him up and had him roast some coffee for me and really enjoyed what uh, what he had put together. And um, it really kind of was intrigued by this idea of single source, um, single origin roasted coffees, not blends. And then <clears throat> I realized that there really was something special about fresh roasted coffee um, as well as fresh ground or whole bean coffee. Um, <clears throat> and then once I was a bit of a devotee to Brian's handiwork, he came out with Dogwatch Dark, which happens to be his first blend that he offered. Um, and I absolutely fell in love with that, thought that he was really a gifted blender when it came to, um, when it came to uh, coffee. So I like a dark cup of coffee. I'm not one to really appreciate acidity or a brightness in a cup, and so the the dark roast that he um, had come up with to honor the Dog Watch boys was just perfect. An unbelievable aroma, really, really rich. It tasted more like the smell of coffee than any other coffee I had ever had. It was truly, truly spectacular. Um, <clears throat> so I order pounds of that. A um, couple times a year, and and uh, it's a little bit of a treat for me. And I've noticed that every time I've ordered it this year, um, it hasn't tasted the same. And you know, I had gone through a couple different coffee makers. I've mentioned in the past, I've probably, you know, I probably have got something like a dozen different coffee brewing accoutrements. Um, and so I thought, you know, maybe. Uh, Maybe my Bialetti is just getting a little bit of a, uh, a a funky coating to it, or you know maybe my cold press. Uh, I need to not try to wash out the filters. Maybe I should get, get a new filter in there or something like that. Um, and and then it just kept happening, and so I started experiencing the fact that that um, this Dogwatch Dark wasn't exactly the same thing that I had grown accustomed to and that I had really, really loved. It just didn't line up um, as perfectly as it once had. So um, <clears throat> I, oh, about a week or two ago, I finally got to the end of my rope 
um, when I had a couple dog watch dark with a cigar and realized how much I loved that what I thought was the original blend. And so at that point, I was absolutely convinced that Dog Watch Dark, the blend from BlackDogCoffee.net, had changed. Well, in all reality, I <clears throat> finally worked up the nerve to email Brian and um, respectfully confront him about this. And uh, I, I received some responses back that were just really, really insightful and unique. Um, and basically, what it boils down to is that nothing has changed with... <laughs> With the blend, um, with the ratios, with the beans, nothing whatsoever. What has changed, or what I have noticed, is that the crop, the each year's crop of beans, um, is different. It's much like wines, where you'll have good years, and you may have less than good years. Um, so, most notably wines, because you can very easily see the vintage that a wine is, but also we see this certainly in cigars. Um, a great example is Opus. You'll hear people talking all the time about, oh, it's a great year for Opus this year, or, you know, it's the best Añejos I've had in years, whatever. Um, and I, I just had never, one, realized that coffee was as much of a terrific pair to um, cigars is what I had recently noted. Um, and two, I never knew that coffee um, could experience the um, the variations, let's say, that, that there was so much of an impact on terroir um, for coffee as there was for other biological consumables. Um, really, really interesting to me. I, I never knew that and thought it was kind of worth sharing. Yeah, I guess I'd never put much thought into it myself, uh, but it makes total sense to me. I mean, it's just it's an organic product, just like anything else. Got different different conditions every year, and even in the same location, mm-hmm. different rainfall, mm-hmm. different whatever. Um, cool. <laughs> oh, jeez. It it it, um, it was just interesting to me. You know, I I fancy myself a bit of a nerd when it comes to tobaccos and cigars and. No. Um, <clears throat> oh, shush. And I really, um, you know, I had kind of uh, thought that there were the big four. There was um, tobacco, wines, cheese, and spirits. Um, those were kind of the four uh, consumables that I had kind of attributed to um, variations, let's say, so uh, one to the other to the other. Now there's five items in your big four. Now there's five items in my big four. I'm basically uh, the, the the consumer's version of the Big Ten. Yeah, that's what tools. I was thinking. Yeah. So I learned something every day. I uh, I learned some some pretty unique information about uh, coffee this past week. Yeah, and I guess it's less noticeable in the uh, regular old off-the-shelf kind of stuff that I commonly drink because it's just from who knows where, who knows when, and kind of just put together with so many different components that if one's off a little bit, it's not that big a difference. Or um, those large companies are multi-billion dollar corporations, not single source farmers, and those corporations always source the same fertilizer and always 
sourced their their seeds from the same location or their genetically modified seeds, whatever it may be. Um, and I just think it goes to show that when you're dealing with kind of craft coffee production, to uh, use a term that you know may have some relatability, that's you uh, may experience something very similar to uh, um, to what we get in other areas, other consumables. So, yeah, you know, getting way off track here. Many years ago, we used to have a, a small roaster in South Florida. In uh, in Boca Raton, suitably, it was called Boca Java, and you could call them up or order from their website, and they roasted whatever you ordered the following morning and shipped it to you the follow that that afternoon. And so, being as near as me, uh, you know, I got something on my doorstep within 24 hours of its roasting, and I used to buy from them a fair amount, and then I went back and ordered after you know being away from them for quite some time and, and they were no longer in Boca. They were still called Boca Java but owned by some huh. some company in Colorado, I think. And and then I went back subsequently at some time past and uh, their website was all screwed up and couldn't order. And so I did a little online research and found a bunch of complaints. I guess the new company had just kind of oh, really? screwed the pooch with the whole thing. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, because it was good coffee. I mean, they 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 made a lot of flavored coffees and whatnot that I don't particularly care for, but all of it wasn't. And they they had some really good stuff, but nonetheless, it's gone. I've got a little place by me that that will actually roast some of the same coffees that the single origin coffees that you can get uh, from Black Dog, um, and so I, uh, um, I I tend to go there because of convenience, but then I buy my bulk um, from from Brian, and uh, I just realize how much I like good coffee, but how little I just like coffee, if that makes sense. You know, like, I wouldn't just say, I need my coffee, I'll take a cup of whatever you got. It's just such a, I don't know, um, like, I wouldn't want to smoke a... Uh, I don't know, a Swisher Sweet. A Coronation. Yeah, I wouldn't want to smoke a Coronation, exactly. Um, it would be worth it to me to never smoke another cigar than to smoke bad cigars, just because I want to have a cigar. You know, like, I, I, I would never drink another cup of Folgers, you know, or go out and buy a five-pound pail of Folgers, you know. I would rather just not drink coffee unless it was going to be um, one of these really great cups of coffee that I know is out there. And... Uh, I'm the same way with. I, I'm the exact same way <laughs> with cigars. I I have put down many cigars just simply because I wasn't enjoying it, and that's. Mm-hmm. I don't like it when I feel like I've wasted money on cigars, but I'm not going to sit there and plow through it just so I can complain about more later. Uh, but I'm not nearly as picky with coffee. Uh, I <laughs> I think I just about single-handedly support eight o'clock coffees. Bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I thought it was 9 o'clock, but <laughs> maybe there's two different brands. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a central eastern time zone thing. Yeah. Oh, well, we got a few emails this week. Think we want to tackle those? Yeah, let's uh, let's hit it up. Cool. The first one, um, the, the 
email comes through as being from Miley Real, but I think when we last corresponded, we learned his name's Mike. Um, so, I'm, I'm, but I'm not sure. I believe that's correct. Yes. I'm going to go with Mike because I believe that's what is the ultimate truth. Uh, but uh, he says, hey, guys, just thought of a question for the two of you to toss around. Other than the unique look, what is the purpose or reason for a cigar to have a closed foot? I find myself strangely attracted to sticks with either a closed foot or a pigtail head. I think it may just be my subconscious thinking there's something special about these sticks than regular that regular cuts don't have. We're totally justified in questioning the weirdness that he's attracted to a cigar, right? Um, that is a horrible joke. I was I was hoping that you would laugh so I wouldn't feel so stupid about that. <laughs> I was laughing, make a completely inappropriate joke in my head while reading that, but I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> okay, well, I guess we we can uh, sum each of our personalities up with how we would handle this email. Apparently, <laughs> one of us just giggled like a little girl. Ah, <laughs> <The other laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. What do you, what do you uh, think? What's, uh, what's the, is there a purpose or is it just appearance? You know, I I um I think that it's appearance. I know um the purpose of a pigtail head is to eliminate a step. You can basically just use your wrapper tobacco, twist it. It's a little faster, and all of a sudden, boom! You've got a finished cigar. You don't need to go through that step of applying the cap. Um. You know, I've I've rolled a few cigars in my life, and I know that it is a little less time-consuming to do that. Um, now, a closed foot? A closed foot is another story. I, I've never, never really given thought to that, if there's any real reason for it. Um, I, I can I, think of a couple, but I don't think that's the reason they're made that way. Well, shoot. I, it can't hurt to broach <clears throat> the topic. Well, <clears throat> two benefits to have been a closed foot cigar to me, and, and I, I'm not asserting that this is the reasoning behind why somebody would make it. Because honestly, I kind of feel the way Mike does. I, I <laughs> Like we, in a couple of texts we traded this week, I said I was born 75 years too late. This just seems like a, a cool old thing, quote unquote, to do. But, um, if you have a closed foot, and, and I'm going closed foot, not shaggy foot. Shaggy's kind of the opposite, where you have the maybe the filler coming out beyond the binder and wrapper. Um, but if you have a closed foot, what I think he's talking about is something like maybe a tramp stamp from Latelier and Tatuaje, where you light that foot, which is all wrapper leaf. You you have an opportunity to just taste the wrapper. For the first couple of minutes until it catches, or you light the 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 rest of it, and the other than that concerns the lighting. And I guess I'd smoked close foot cigars before, but never really paid attention until that tramp stamp. And that is the easiest cigar I've ever lit in my life. If I light the wrapper leaf on that, by the time the wrapper burns away, it has fully ignited the whole end of that cigar. And it yeah, works so yeah. well and so perfectly every time for me. And, I mean, I could light it with, you know, a regular cigar might take several matches if you're using matches. You can light one of those with one match and have plenty of match left over. Because hmm. all you got to do is get that wrapper leaf going, and it, it will, on its own, uh, ignite the rest of the cigar. 
I I remember Bob McDuffie talking about that actually. Um, I don't remember what cigar it was. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember that. It might have it may not have been a closed foot cigar. It may have been um, <clears throat> a perfecto, something like a Hemingway, where you're lighting essentially a you know a 15 ring gauge, you know, uh, and so you barely have to put foot to flame um, before it lights, and then you can draw through the entire cigar and get something. So um, and and ignite it, but for some reason I'm thinking it was a closed foot discussion, and he mentioned the same thing that it's just so simple to light that it was a uh, it was a unique benefit. Yep. Uh, uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> You're killing me, dude. Uh, no. I, well, what else should I say? I spoke my piece about the closed foot. I like them. I, I think it is very, very convenient. And it just kind of looks cool, too. <laughs> well, all right, then. It really is as simple as those two things for me. I don't think there's, you know... I don't think that it doesn't change the blend. It doesn't change anything internally about the cigar or how it burns once you're past that foot. It's the same cigar. If you cut the end off of it or you leave a little shaggy piece of wrapper leaf hanging over, once you're past that, I don't think it changes anything. But having the convenience of a cigar that immediately lights is is a really cool thing for me. You know what's kind of interesting? Along those same lines that... Uh, um, that I just thought about... Um, and now I've completely forgotten about? <laughs> Crap. What the heck was I going to say? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm oh, the old guy. I remember. Um, it reminds me, or it makes me think of like a a respectable way to have flashy packaging. You mm. know, like, if you go out there and you put batteries in the box like the CAO Illusion... Um, you're going to get ridiculed and people aren't going to buy the cigar because they think that it's all flash and, and no dance. But you go out there, you put a closed foot on a cigar, people who are cigar guys are going to see that and and not ridicule you for it, you know? It, it was... Exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, any little thing you can do like that that is... Subtle, but it plants a seed in your memory that, hey, you're going to remember that cigar the next time you see it. And it may be enough to put you over the top to go ahead and buy it and try it. Yeah, yeah no doubt. I'm with you. I can dig it. <laughs> I can dig it. <laughs> it's, and uh, Cigar Man for Life in the chat room is talking about, I, I mentioned the shaggy foot. He's smoking the Wolfman, which is, that's exactly what it is, where... The wrapper ends before the internals of the cigar, and you have just the opposite kind of experience when you light them. You have the filler, at least, and maybe maybe the binder out there, too, uh, a little more before the wrapper kicks in, which kind well, of accomplishes what you do commonly when you cut off a little section of wrapper. Right. That's absolutely true. Um, as a minor correction, I just went through ten lines of uh, chat to find this out, so that's why I'll mention it, but... He's actually not smoking it now. He brought it up for our own amusement to illustrate one of the things we were talking about there. He's uh, smoking a La Atelier right now. Uh, what is this? The La Atelier 
with the black on white band rather than the white on black band. Oh, 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 I got you. Uh, I was trying to think of the uh, surrogate series, and I was like, that. I don't remember any of those being that way. Okay. And he's also being very kind, and if you haven't been following all the chat, he uh, is putting together a bit of a care package for us that he's going to send your way. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, completely unnecessary, but uh, completely appreciated at the same time. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) You old, annoying son of a bee. I told you I was feeling like an irritable bowel. All right. Well, why don't you uh, bust out Vashon Jones' uh, email here? Okay. And we've uh, actually had a couple emails from Vashon in recent weeks, and this one was from last week. And uh, we didn't. We kind of went 30 minutes over showtime with Bob and Dale and didn't get to our emails. So we got this one this week. And he says again, he loves the show. Thank you very much, Vashon. I was wondering this week, what purpose does a smoking jacket serve? Is it to look cool? Does it protect your garments from getting all smoky or what? I was thinking if it had a purpose other than looking like a Harvard professor, maybe I'll look into getting one. Well, this, I really wanted to talk about this last week with uh, everybody, all four of us on. um, And we just didn't have the time, as you had mentioned, but... um, I never really thought that a smoking jacket was anything more than just another accoutrement. You know, you you could have a punch cutter, a guillotine cutter, a V cutter, or you can have your normal clothes or a smoking jacket, or you can take your shirt off, you know? Like, it was just one of those options you had. But I, after thinking about it a little more and doing a little bit of reading, I think that originally it may have been as a... Um, uh, a little bit of a determent so you didn't come across as reeking completely after smoking your pipe or smoking oh, your cigar. It absolutely did. There's no doubt about it. And that's 130, 140 years ago. That was that was the, the thing. Well, and, I love that idea. And it is exactly what you said where back in the day uh, after a dinner or whatever, and, you know, the, the guys would gather up to have a cigar or a pipe in the, the parlor, so to speak. Um, you got a an un-air-conditioned, uncon, un- unventilated room with a dozen guys standing around smoking. I would imagine you would tend to get really, really laden with smoke. And so these jackets became really popular. And initially they were just, just that. They were just jackets, but then they got really into it and into silks and ornate designs and whatnot. Uh, but they still they serve the same purpose. They just protect your other clothing from picking up all the smoke. I'd be interested if anybody's ever done essentially objective reviews of this to see if there are certain characteristics or traits that would perform better or certain materials that would prevent a um, bleed through, so to speak. It Actually, sounds like it could be a little bit of a, um, I shouldn't say little bit. It could be a really, really useful tool for those of us who have significant others who may not perhaps enjoy the the lingering uh, effects of cigar smoke as much as uh, we do. Well, yeah, I, I have done the exact same thing. Just I don't have a special silk smoking jacket, but if I'm going to have a cigar in the car on the way to a, you know, a work meeting or something like that, and I don't want to walk into a conference room 
and run half the people out of the room, I will wear a, a jacket or some kind of overshirt over whatever clothing I'm wearing in the car just to keep from picking up all the smoke. Well, on a slightly related and very humorous topic, today my wife sends me this text message uh, with this photograph, I should say, and says, what do you think? As uh, as I'm sure most of our listeners know, my wife and I are expecting another child. And my response back to her was, are you buying our son a smoking jacket? <laughs> because that looked to me as if it was a brown Hugh Hefner smoking jacket, silk piping around the edge. It's got a little Ralph Lauren logo on the front, and she's like, no, I found a onesie at Goodwill. Give me a break. <laughs> but uh, it just looked exactly like a smoking jacket to me. Well, you know, I think Berta Bravo makes baby Guayabaras. Oh, get out of town. Are you serious? Yeah. If it's not her, somebody out there is making them because I've definitely seen them before, but I think it's hers. I I had the closest thing to a, a Guaybara, um that I could find, and it just it was more like the oh shut up, um, it was more like just a button-up shirt, and then it had kind of the you know just down each side of the uh, of the breast, it had the kind of an intricate Latin design. Um, and so it looked a little like a Guaybara, but it didn't have the traditional four pockets. Um, mm. It'd be pretty cool to get something that was like that. I would I'll need to look that up for Christmas. Yeah, I have a Tatuel Hey Crew shirt that has two pockets rather than four, but outside of that, it's, it's built and cut basically the same. Oh. Man, I'm glad we're recording tonight. I, I now have my second thing for a Christmas list. This is great. <laughs> The first was uh, out of the chat room, the the Chemex Coffee Brewing. I keep putting off getting that, so that's added to the Christmas list. And uh, now I'll put some more Guayaberas on there. Yeah, spectacular. I have seemed to have assembled quite a collection myself. But uh, anyway, back to the, the Vashon's email. Yes, they absolutely served a purpose originally, would still serve the purpose today. I think they're cool. Apparently, Bob thinks they're cool. He threw that out as in the closing seconds last week. Um, but I don't know that I would wear one out in public somewhere just because <laughs> the harassment you might get from other folks. But, you know, I guess my, <laughs> my general philosophy is screw those people. So <laughs> do whatever <laughs> makes you happy. You know, um, just a second ago, they were talking Edgar Hoyle. Um, the one-shot-one-kill photographer guy um, uh, that has cigars. And apparently, according to, to the chat room, he's gotten the rights to his, his name back. Uh, he, he had to put a cigar out under a different name after having one named for him with Room 101 because uh, Davidoff owned the trademark on his name. <laughs> but um, the one-shot-one-kill line, I guess, rather than his name, he could not use that until apparently recently. I was not aware of that, but... Uh, Anyway, at, at IPCPR, there was a company, I don't even know who it was, I remember walking by the booth but didn't stop to chat, that were selling these really nice silk-lined uh, uh, and padded smoking jackets, and he bought one of those and was walking around the show wearing it. It was pretty cool. I, uh, I wonder if silk does a really good job. I mean, you always hear silk smoking jacket, so I wonder. if Maybe it just doesn't absorb. Hey, you got me. I don't know. 
I have never owned one. Maybe a, a spectacular listener could uh, do a little research and let us know what the recommendation would be for the half-ashed uh, logoed smoking jacket. Maybe I can make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> Have at it. Uh, that's pretty cool. All right. So our last email is from Don Hubble, and he actually sent this during the show last week, and um, I didn't oh, Did he really? This. Yeah, uh, but I didn't huh. see it until we were winding down. Um, he says he was listening to us get beat up by Bob and Dale, who had an inside lead on the unbanded. But anyway. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. (laughs) My foot. Anyway. Listening to us get up beat by Bob and beat up by Bob. I just started scatting. (laughs) The hillbillies went melt or maybe a 1950s. Were you like a 1950s rock and roll artist or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bebop, bop. Brought a question to his mind. Anyone know how many manufacturers exclusively roll cigars into bar slash into bow? Has anybody ever geeked out on finding out by percentage or number of cigars rolled this way? Not me. I mean, Not me, but uh, I think I'm going to speak for both of us and say if anyone ever did, I will illustrate it this way. That is that is an epic level of geekdom to which I will bow down. That would be pretty special. That that is um, the uh, whole what's the guy the, the ugh, burger and Argenti. They have a whole line that's rolled that way. Um, most, if not all, of the Opus Vitolas are rolled that way. Um, Padron as well, mostly rolled that way. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's completely common, but I do think it's more common than it was six or eight years ago. And if, um, it's, if it's not, it's being marketed more today. And when I say more, I don't mean largely. I mean, I see it more than I saw it in the past. I'm very rusty on my Cuban knowledge. There was a time when I seemed to have had every uh, possible useless fact and statistic committed to memory about the Cuban cigar industry. Um, but if I recall correctly, I think that um, the Cuban industry really um, has concentrated on uh, rolling cigars with the Entubar method, or Entubado method. Um, <clears throat> and I don't recall right now if that is more recently that they've gone over to that post the new millennium. Or if that was a back in the day, that's what it all was rolled as, and then people have kind of transitioned away from it with the newer generation of smokers. So that's something that I know is available out there on some of the the forums. That information, I don't. I'd be interested to know if you are aware of that. I think the latter's the case. I think it was an old school method that was largely not not abandoned, but they figured out other ways to roll that seemed to be as effective mm-hmm. that that made more sense economically just in the time it took sure, to do sure. it. No, and I'm logically that makes sense. I mean, I know that this is not the uh, fastest way to roll a cigar, so um, it doesn't seem as if it would be the, <laughs> Oh, I just got a pop up that asked me if I was still there. Um, it doesn't seem like it would be the most logical business decision, but for some reason, um, 
I, it's sticking in my memory that that is a, a way that a lot of the rollers are now being instructed. I might need to do a little research on that. Yeah, that's that's a good assignment for you. Take it and run. Impress me. <laughs> I can do that. Hey, uh, we've got Impress a, you for Pete's sake. an interesting comment in the chat room from Cigar Man for Life again, who now apparently is a gentleman, benefactor, and scholar. He says silk doesn't ignite <laughs> as easily as cotton. So if you drop your ignite? ash... Ignite? Yeah, if you drop your really? uh, ash or hot ember from a cigar onto your smoking jacket, it won't, it's not as likely to go up in flames. Huh, wow. And that's useful after a few too many rums as well. <laughs> hmm. Oh, I like that. It's uh, it's useful and stylish. <laughs> Just like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, not like me, I tell you. Uh, well, I uh, I think we've we've gotten a bit past. Um, Oh, at least I've gotten a bit past the fine and rare. I'm solidly into uh, uh, a Nesta Miranda special selection right now as my second cigar of the evening. And um, I think it might be time that we uh, try to start wrapping up this uh, Alec Bradley. Yeah, you know, you can kind of see i got probably two inches left, and I have had this thing lit nearly two hours. So I'm kind of mm. impressed. It's actually lasted a long time. Yeah, it definitely has um, I know that mine? Uh, boy, I think I might have dropped mine on the floor. Actually, hopefully it wasn't on your cotton, down there. Hopefully not on your cotton jacket. <laughs> I'm seeing a cigar down there, and it's uh, I'm not seeing the fine and rare anywhere else. So I'm wondering if I did drop it. Nah, um, it's neither here it nor was there. Out. I was done with it, but yep, not smoking it at this point, but. Um, uh, it ended a little bit with a little bit less sweetness than it had began, and a little bit less sweetness than it had um, pretty much in the first third and the uh, into the second third as well. Um, it demonstrated a little bit more of that wittiness that you had talked about, and that nuttiness that I was really big on in the second third, about the middle of the cigar, had faded a little bit. It wasn't as um, reminiscent of another cigar at that point. Um, I think I had alluded to the fact that it reminded me of a Ramon Ionis, um a little bit with kind of that nutty, spicy, sweet flavor. Um, I definitely did uh, enjoy it as a wrap. I think that it was a cigar that I uh, appreciated much more than I had expected. I'm not the biggest um, uh, Alec Bradley fan, although I don't dislike their stuff. It's just I never really reach for it. Um but I'm glad that I have this one. It is at least, uh, if nothing else, an expansion of my uh, palate. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there in that same boat uh, regarding this cigar. It's it. There's a couple of things, special, limited kind of cigars that I always grab every year, no matter how much I love them or how much I don't. And this is one of them, the, the fine and rare. And then I always give to Camacho Liberty or two just because I'm in the habit now. I'm so many years into it, I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, but I but I do happen to like these. I agree that the the sweetness had entirely dissipated uh, by the end of the cigar, and it had gotten that m- more of a, a woodsy kind of character to it. And, and I would even go a little further and say it's not uh, that that deeper, darker kind of um, 
woodsiness. It's more, and I don't want to say it's cedar-like, but it's on the the shrill end of the spectrum. To go back to my sound analogies, uh, where it's a uh, you know um, has more fervor to it. It's not a it's not a syrupy, sweet, dark kind of flavors. It, it definitely has, is very bright. I, I, the cigar has unique characteristics to it. Um, I talked about the flavors being reminiscent of of a couple other cigars, or of at one point I said that it was a little bit reminiscent of um, tobacco grown in the Jalapa region. But there was something that I'll put it another way. It definitely was a cigar that I think was a worthy limited release. It doesn't seem like every other cigar on the shelf, despite the fact that it's um, comfortable. You know, it's a little familiar. Um, I liked it. I don't know if I'd pay 16 bucks for it, plus tax, but um, I could certainly see... <laughs> Definitely not in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I... Um, I could definitely see that it's a cigar that you're not going to be displeased by, and so maybe you pick up a couple of them to just, you know, change the pace. But I might also uh, find a little more logic in a $4 change of pace cigar. So certainly a good cigar, but for the price, it just really dampens my desire to want to go out and reach for it. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, and I will continue grabbing a couple of them every year and – not likely regret it unless something just completely falls apart with it. But I enjoy them. It, it is exactly what you said. It's a nice change of pace. It's not a dead match for anything else, at least not anything else that I regularly reach for. So, shall we wrap this joker up? I think so. Another uh, fun and eventful evening. Only a few laughs at... Uh at our expense, so I think that we can consider it a bit of a success. We uh, we didn't have any discussion of uh, inappropriate topics like some of our brethren from Cigar Federation <laughs> did earlier in the week, <laughs> Mr. Cooper. Um, I think it was all in all a success. But I had a good time. I appreciate the uh, camaraderie, Kipper. It was a, a blast, as always. Same here. And uh, just to wrap us up, uh, next week we will be smoking another Unbanded. This will be number 11 from Jacob Pincus. And so we're certainly looking forward to that. That that has increasingly become one of my favorite parts of the show is, is smoking something blindly where you don't have any kind of preconceptions about the cigar. And it's it's kind of a fun thing to do. I really dig it. Um, you want to know what I'm a little scared about in regard to that? What's that? The fact that uh, next week we're going to be highly distracted by our guest that's going to be on the show. That's true. Our guest who happens to be in the chat room tonight, Michael Stewart, who most of you probably remember we had on once before. Actually, most of you may not because this was the <laughs> infamous lost episode that uh, uh, that must have been so great and wonderful that Google and YouTube decided to lay claim to it and won't give it back to us. Uh, it... it Died in the uh, uh, somewhere out there in the interwebs. Uh, so we uh, did a brief makeup kind of show where we covered some of the same ground. But we are going to get Michael back on here next week, hopefully without any storms in the Chicagoland area, 
and uh, have a good show and go through his hobby that is such a cool uh, thing for the two of us to, to watch and, and observe what's going on there. Uh, rolling his own cigar, sourcing his own uh, whole leaf tobacco, and and really getting to dig into some experimentation with blends and, and cigars and, and you know how they play together and don't play together. And, and it's, a, it, it's i got to say, another one of the most interesting things I've come across through this show. Um, oh, yeah. So we're looking forward to that, and uh, we are back. Um, we had a, a little bit of a software issue for a while through the Cigar Federation, getting the uh, chat to work uh, properly uh, between the two. And so we will now be broadcasting over there as well. And uh, just as you can see, if you've been there tonight, on the front page, middle, top column every week, you'll see a link to get to uh, our page and It'll also be in the menu uh, sometime shortly, uh, but you can still find us at halfash.com just the same. Chat room will be shared between the two, so wherever you are, you'll be able to talk with anybody at both places hanging out, uh, which is a really cool thing. I'm, I'm glad we uh, were able to get that working. You know what I think is a pretty cool, uh, not related to that topic about Cigar Federation, but... Um, a pretty cool thing that I, uh, I'd like to share about uh, kind of a little... Uh, preview of our um, show next week with Mike Stewart is uh, kind of getting back to the discussion we had about the number of tobaccos in a cigar. Um, when we were talking about how this fine and rare exhibits 10 tobaccos and we thought that uh, the um, Liga Privada uh, number 9 uh, release at least exhibited 7 tobaccos, we got some direct first-hand impression on, uh, from Michael how many tobaccos he's worked with, and he's managed to incorporate six tobaccos into a cigar. So right there, first-hand experience from somebody in the chat room who's participating in, in the show. Um, you know, you can see that, I, I mean, I know that Michael's been rolling cigars for, the, I, I think, a couple years at this point, and, you know, he's been gracious enough to give us um, a number of samples and enjoyment to have us try some stuff out. You know, they, someone with his skill level and experience level hasn't has only been able to incorporate uh, uh, about sixty percent of what this fine and rare had in it. So it's kind of interesting to me that um, that there's such a a, a unique um, variation there that we can see just firsthand with Michael. We can talk about things like that and. Relate them to the fine and rare this week, and uh, and then who knows where they'll go next week as well. So, before we got too far away from uh, the introduction to what next week's show is going to be, I wanted to throw that one in there as well. You're going to bust out a yeah, aren't you? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, back to our wrap up. If, if you have any. Uh, Suggestions for an unbanded, you can email those to info at thecigarme.com. Uh, as always, my wife gets those. I don't get them. Craig doesn't get them. Uh, so uh, she will take uh, whatever you email her and source the cigars and provide those. And if you have submissions uh, that you would like to send in for us to try, you can email either me or Craig, uh, kip at thecigarme.com or craig at thecigarme.com, and uh, we'll connect you up with an address to send them to. Um, as I mentioned before, you can find us halfash.com, cigarfederation.com. <laughs> Friday nights at 9:30 seems to be our normal thing, 
Uh, we have a, a guaranteed time and place for the second week, second Friday every month. The other weeks, we typically record the same time, but we may be off a day or two. But if you follow me on Twitter, uh, at the underscore Cigarmy, uh, you'll uh, get all the updates that tell exactly in the days leading up to a show when we're recording. Uh, so you should be able to... To find that there, uh, you can get either of us on Facebook. If you go to halfash.com, dig around in some uh, pages there, you'll find how to connect to us on Facebook and Twitter and uh, whatnot. And uh, we're pretty accessible. Just let us know. We'd love to get your emails. And I'm going to turn it over to Craig for any dedication you might have tonight. Hello? Maybe I have lost Craig. So I will wrap us up. Uh, thanks a lot, folks, for uh, hanging out with us for the past couple hours, uh, for uh, sticking it out, so to speak. We love doing the show. Enjoy the show, and I hope you guys have a wonderful week. And uh, we will see you same bat time, same bat place next Friday night.